Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. It is Pride Month. It's great to be here. I We're kicking this month off with a bang. I've got Jiminika Eborn here. She is a health psychologist. She works with sexual trauma and healing. She runs Tending the Garden, which we'll talk about and is amazing. She's a great Twitter follow. She speaks around the world. And so welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I love an intro. It helps my brain. I'm like, I do know things and do stuff. <laughs> so you've been you've been doing this for about seven, going on eight years now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> how, so how did you end up here? Because it is not a traditional route. Most, you know, most queer folks would go in and get their their MFT and then become a social worker. That is not what you did. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, my journey in just in general is very non, I guess what is traditional, especially when you're doing this work. But when I got into the field of mental health and and originally I went for criminal justice um, because my mother was killed and I wanted to work with domestic violence survivors. While I was in school, I found partying and dick. Very distracting. I don't know if you've heard about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, so I was busy not going to class and then I was raped my third year. And as many of us know, rape will change your, change your whole life, your whole journey, your path. And so I didn't speak about it for like seven years. And I just continued working through mental health as rape crisis counselor. I worked in all types of facilities from those that were the richest that are like 60, $50,000 a month into like the lowest where people were just like hopeful and trying. And for me, it was amazing. And it was also really hard. Burnout is real and it takes a while to recover. And I said, you know what? I want to do something that's ever changing and fun. And I was like, Ooh, sex. And so I was raised my grandparents, my grandmother, who actually just turns 80 today. And she was like, her response was, Oh, hell does that mean you're going to be selling your pussy? And I said, well, I don't think so. I said, well, let me get back to you. <laughs> and so I, you know, got into sex ed and I, I am a dive head first. Mm-hmm. I went to every conference I could find. I went, ended up doing like sex week summer camp where I found my squad and I just, I'm a sponge. I'm a student forever. And you know, what kept coming up for me was sexual assault. And in the ideas of everyone's talking about all the pleasure stuff, but what about most of us that are like, I've had some shit and I don't know if I can get there. And that doesn't take away from many of humans that were already doing the work. But for me, I don't believe in needing to reinvent the wheel, but I believe in like finding where you fit. And so I just started running my mouth and 
creating brain things and everything that I do was created because I needed it. It might be selfish and that's fine, but I invite you into (laughs) what I needed for myself and it's been working. So it's been beautiful and sad and hard and exciting. It's, you know, it's a lot of feelings all the time. It would be, it would be. And, you know, in the writing community, there's always a thing, write the book that you would have needed. Right. Mm. And that's, that's what drives so many writers is creating the work that wasn't there when you needed it. And you've obviously found different outlets to express it and ways to get involved with it. What did you find that was missing? I think it's in general, there's just, especially for me in the world of like psychology is a lot of people talk at you, but not to you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, I got annoyed. I was like, why is it every time someone talks to me, they drop their voice and they touch their heart. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I think what was missing was people just being people and like meeting people. And so I have clients and I'm like, that shit sounds rough. You're allowed to be fucking mad. And they're like, yes. Like the, just the human aspect of working with humans is what I've seen was missing. And like, not coddling, talking to them and meeting them where they are um, and not sugarcoating things. I, for me, that's what I thought was missing. And I've heard from other people, like you show up in a way that others don't. And I'm like, I guess. And they're like, no, 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 no. I've had therapists. I've spent a lot of money. I've done all these things, but like you hear me and you let me be where I'm at. Like you don't force me too far there. You push me, but it's not like, aggressive. So I, for me, that's what I think what was missing is more of the human connection and the human aspect of trauma. I think that you've nailed it there because my experience with anything in the, the psychology arts, uh, which is my background as well, is that we really try to make it clinical and distanced, right? Yeah. That you're not, you're supposed to, as a therapist and all of that, you're supposed to be objective and removed. And so much of what people are bringing into therapy is really awful and is going to affect you, right? And so to keep that that slate and that, you know, that blank slate and just be, it doesn't work for a lot of folks, right? No, especially when they're trying to be like super vulnerable mm-hmm. and they're just like, what? Or you like freak out, right? Like, because again, therapists are just humans. Right. And like the first time I went to a therapy, just like, just like just first session, let's just see how it works. I was like, yeah, my mom was murdered and all these things. She literally grabbed her pearls and was like, oh my God. I was like, I will never see you again. I didn't say nothing yet, girl. Didn't even get fun yet. (laughs) Wait till she hears about the gangbangs and the orgies. (laughs) That's a whole nother level this person cannot take. Yeah. And so I think there's, there are a lot of people that's as therapists that haven't worked on their own shit yet. Yes. That's another conversation that people don't want to talk about is just because you're, and I've been saying it just because you pass a test and can be a therapist doesn't mean you should be. Yes. Yes. And there's this perception that because so many different degree programs and licensing, you have to see your own therapist for so many sessions, right? That right. Your therapist has come in and has their shit worked out. <laughs> That's not been my experience. I'll put it Same. that way. <laughs> Same. Same. Also, most of us in the field 
I'll say 99% are here for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's not just because like, that was interesting. No, we've gone through some shit. And we're like, what was that? Let's figure it out. Yeah, uh, I, have a, I have a running joke in my standup that the reason psychology is such a popular major is it's just people trying to figure out their own shit. Absolutely. Like that, that's how you end up there. <laughs> yeah. Right. But people don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you've gone about it in a little different way. You approach the, it through the healing arts and alternative healing. What does it explain to the listeners what that means? Hmm. Um, well, first, when I, when I do work with people, I take healing off a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Just because I know and have worked with seeing health for myself, like people are like, well, have you healed? Are you healing? And it, for some individuals, it puts it on like this pedestal of like, well, I'm not there yet. So I haven't done the things I needed. Mm-hmm. But also, like, what I need is not what you need. So let's take it off to be like, how do we navigate through this thing? Like, what does that look like? Because every day is different. And then just the honesty of it, right? Like, because I am not a therapist, right? Like, I get to be honest. I get to share parts of me that allow them to go. I'm not alone in not a way that's like overshadowing them, but I'll ask them, like, would you like to hear what came up for me or how I've experienced this? And they'll go, please. Right. So I get to do that because, you know, with therapists, there's a lot of checks and balances. And for me, I'm like, if I need to, if someone would like a hug and I'm able to do it without having to write a fucking essay report (laughs) to cover my ask, a CYA. Yeah. I, I think for me, there's that. And also continuously, like people are like, oh my God, you're a coach. And I'm like, absolutely the fuck not. Listen, I live in California, which is the town of coaches. Everyone's a coach for something. And for me, I think there's a lot of people trying to lead and keep people in a structure versus meeting them where they are and walking beside them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I am a companion. I've been in school forever. Let me share these things. Let's, I don't believe if we're working with survivors who are trying to get their own autonomy back, why am I going to be like, well, you have to do it this way. You need to do this. Like that takes away from what I'm trying to support them through. So I'm like, tell me what you know. What have you done? What did you like? What didn't you like? And we build from there. But I do work in, in what I'm doing one-to-one. It is a three-month system. And then you can come back after. But for three months, once a week, we will be looking at each other. Because within for me, the three months why I created it that way is the first month, you have we have to build a relationship and trust. Because to navigate healing, there's vulnerability. You have to feel safe internally and externally. So that's what the month is. And then the second month, I'm always like, bring some things, bring your toolbox, your purse, whatever you call it. I'll bring mine. And this is where we start to navigate in trial and error. And for me, it's hard. It's hard, but it's also beautiful. Like I just finished a three-month program with a client yesterday. And she was like, I just, there's so many things I never thought about. And you pushed me in a way that felt good, but also let me make choices. And that's how I want people to feel because that's how life is. Mm -hmm. You talk about showing up and meeting somebody where there's at, and there are people who can do that, but it takes a lot of work. At least my experience has been, it took a lot of work on myself to be able to just be there with somebody. If, if people are interested in doing, 
Like, what does that look like? And what does it take to get to that point? Or what did it take you to get to that point where you could just be there and be okay witnessing for them and and walking with them where they're at? Yeah. Um, I think for me, my first view into this world, I was a rape crisis counselor. Mm-hmm. And so no one's paying me for that. It was all volunteer work to get up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. to meet someone in a hospital. And that's where I think this journey for me began is like, you have to learn to check your shit at the door. People go, what? I'm like, whatever you got going on, leave it outside because it doesn't help the situation. So for me, I've, I've really conditioned myself to whatever I have going on. If it's a physical door, a spiritual door, leave it outside because it will exist later. But if this is what I've given my spirit into is showing up for this person. Yes. Now, what have I done for myself? I, lots of spiritual work, like learning how to be in my own body. So before I went to therapist route, I went spiritual. And it, for me, that was like learning how to meditate learning how to like sit in silence and actually tell my brain, which takes a very long time to shut up and it actually listened. And then to continue expanding that I I've done a Vipassana 10 day silent retreat, which also allowed me to just be present and learn my body reactions. Um, and then talk therapy helps as well. And also I, you know, for this work, you have to be continuously learning and working on yourself. You do like, there is no one just like, Oh, I got the degree. I'm out. No, (laughs) that's, that's not it. Bring reel it back. Come back. There's more. And so I'm constantly reading books and, and checking in with myself. I try to do like a, a a hard getaway check-in every quarter and I'll take myself and just be by myself and, or like little things. Like I like to be by myself. Do I have two partners? Yeah, they're good. Be at their, be at their own house. Um, but for me, it's like sitting in silence and being like, where are you? I do a lot of laying on the floor, like physically grounding to be able to do this. And one thing, you know, when you're working with individuals, you're allowed to ask them what they need. Like people go, what? And I'm like, when people share things, I, my normal response, and I I've been teaching the folks in the support group is if someone drops something off, you ask them, are you dropping it off? Would you like questions or would you like me to just speak at you? And that someone might be like, no, no, no. I just wanted to say it. I just need to get it out. Cool. So you did what they needed or if they have like questions or resources. So for me, that's how I've been navigating it is continuing to move myself out of the way, working on myself, finding resources, continuing to learn. Like I was watching the new Brene Brown special the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, talking to my girlfriend. I was like, it's fine. I'm high right now, but I'm learning about emotions. I was like, I get it. I'm not normal, but it's fine. We'll talk about it later. And so for me, that was perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the vulnerability of knowing that someone also chose you, right? Like working with people for me, I think is a privilege. I think, I think that gets lost for people is like, well, I'm a therapist. You should, you don't fucking know everything. We're all humans and like trust is like something we shouldn't take for granted. Exactly. Exactly. And you've done something that I think most therapists that I know just on a personal level, um, as well as those that I've worked with can't do is be okay in your own body. And I don't think that gets talked about enough because so much of therapy and 
surviving and making it through trauma is focused on the head. And we don't, in Western society, we don't connect the two. It's like somehow from the neck up, that's a whole separate. What is that? It's so weird. (laughs) So, and, and when you've been through trauma, it can be really hard to just sit in your own body. So where do, where do you suggest people start looking to reconnect? Because trauma takes you out of your body. Right. Mm-hmm. And it separates you from that. So to come back into that is a journey in itself and a healing journey. What helps people reconnect with that? I think it varies per person. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I do like is like somatic therapy mm-hmm. or uh, TRE, the traumatic release exercises, dancing, like literally just mo- put on the music and like moving and being like checking in with your body. Um, something that I teach people to do is uh, a body forgiveness exercise, which is real hard. Like literally you're going head to toe or toe to head and going over every part of your body and acknowledging it first. Sometimes we first, we got to acknowledge it before you can even get back into it. Um, and then there's, there's that option. There's depending on like self dates, like to build up to maybe learning what touch feels like for you. Or like what intimacy feels like. Cause everyone's like, well, I want to get back to fucking. And I'm like, all right, how, how would you like to do so? Do you know how your bodies might respond? Like, let's talk about it. I think those are like the simple things, right? Like they're simple, but not because they're also very scary. Um, sometimes just sitting and touching. Like when was the last time you just sat and like touched your foot? touched your leg, touched your arm, see what that feels like. It doesn't have to be sexual at all. Just like grab a wrist. I'm like, Oh, when is the last time I felt that? Right? Like I have tendonitis. So I'm like constantly doing this, but it's like, Oh, I haven't done this. So it's like, what does getting back into your body look like? And, or feel like it varies Mm -hmm. because some people might be able to be present, but anything near their genitals, they're like, absolutely not. Which is the tricky part. And again, I think it's trial and error. I think it's giving yourself grace. I think it's using lube for anything that you do because it will always be your friend. And just being honest with being honest, like today, I don't have it. And that's okay because tomorrow exists. And like you said, it's, it's a head thing. It is a head thing. This is our biggest sex organ. This is where things start. And the whole separation to me is wild And that's also why I went back to school for health psychology instead of finishing the MFT Mm -hmm. because it is like the whole word. I don't understand what. (laughs) Yeah. No, Western medicine baffles my mind of how you can have any sort of healing when you're that disconnected. Um, Yeah. Yeah. One of the books that I've been really navigating through is the Tao of trauma. Mm -hmm. And because I, for me, it really spoke to me because it talks about the Western and the Eastern sides. I, you know, yes, I'm a Western child, California raised born, but also we're very numbing people. We, you got, you want a pill? I got this pill. Do you want to like act like it didn't happen? Like it's not helpful. Um, And then also looking into Eastern things for some people, acupuncture was really good for me stretching, massage. Again, you know, your body and you know, like the things, but trial and error is like the best way for you to get back to your body to answer your question. I totally agree. Yeah. I just actually, I just came from my acupuncture appointment before doing this. 
my acupuncturist saved my life. Like I was walking with mobility aids. I couldn't get out of bed most days. And then I started seeing her and now I'm like out shoveling compost, Uh, (laughs) which to me is really healing. I'm very proud. I have a compost pile that works. Um, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So you created uh, this retreat, um, Tending the Garden, which is specifically for uh, women of color who are trauma survivors uh, to bring it together. That's how it started. And okay. it's evolved. Yeah. So I don't know about the recent evolution. You want? I, it, let me know. Yeah. How did it evolve? Yeah. So it was supposed, our first in-person retreat was supposed to be 2020. And then Miss um, Panorama decided against it. And then the retreat center stole our money. And refused to give it back. Um, There's a whole episode on Trauma Queen about it. And that was really hard for me. It really was. It made me physically, emotionally sick. Like I lost my hair. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because the money was for survivors and it was fundraised. Like they stole like 30 grand. Like that to me, it was just sickening. I had lawyers, all the things. And so we were able to, we as in me, uh, were able to receive a grant from American Express, which allowed me to sit and go, okay, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. So I was able to pay a bunch of survivors to speak at two different conferences that I held online for survivors, mm-hmm. which was beautiful. And from that, I was like, how do we continue expanding? So it was just for women of color. And I was like, working in facilities, what I saw was that anyone that was not a white, cisgender, heterosexual woman, was not getting the same support in mental health facilities. I see your face. You're like accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, who else, who needs this support, especially a survivor. So now tending the garden has specific pillars. Um, And the goal is, and we're going to get back into doing more fundraising and things and events. Hopefully the goal is to have three retreats a year, two to three retreats a year, specifically for each population, which I'll tell you about. And for me, each retreat, it will be five days in nature, water, somewhere you can touch trees, fresh food, body movement. There's three tracks, mental health, body forgiveness, and sex ed. So three days of that, a day of like just being taken care of and like doing fun things. Cause often survivors are taking care of other people as we do. And so the pillars see if I can do this correctly, um, are represented by my board. So we have sex workers, we have women of color, we have cis men, we have trans and non-binary folks, we have 18 to 25 young folks and people are like, oh, they have support. And I'm like, let's think about it. Cis men, how often are they believed and how often are they harmed? Women of color, we already know. We already know. Trans and non-binary folks, the highest harmed, the least information. 18 to 25, there is a lot of harm during the college ages on campuses. I just finished doing my college tour and like, it breaks my heart. Like the fact that Sam exists, like we have a whole month about sexual assault. Why do we have a whole month? That's, let me get off, get off my tangent, get off my <laughs> box because I get real pissed, but for me, that's what that's what that looks like. And I want to build also spaces for community. So we're, we want to expand to have like more support groups and message boards or whatever. It all takes money. And so that's the tricky part. 
And, and I want to also do still like online things because I want to do different tier things. My real life goal would be to be able to create this. So it's almost free, mm-hmm. especially for these survivors. I've been marginalized because oftentimes barrier to care is financial resources. And so I want it to be a place where people get to just be, they get to be taken care of. They get education. They don't have to be like, Oh, here's the thing. I got to go. No, no, you get to sit. So that's the expansion. <laughs> and it's, it's, you've nailed it. I mean, so many of these groups, you have to have specialized focus. And if you are sitting in a group of white heterosexual you know, cisgendered women over 25, that's one experience in the world. <laughs> that right? is experience. That's yeah. one experience in the world. For everybody else, it is even my experience has been when you're in groups like that, um, if you have any form of marginalized voice, you were talked over, you are not part of the conversation, and your experience is seen as an anomaly, right? Um, because you're not fitting into this wider world. So there is something about, you know, one of the things that has come up as I've taught different groups and stuff and, and done different things is, well, why can't I come? You're, you're doing just non-binary and trans people, but I'm straight. So why can't I come? Or you're doing, you know, female identified and I'm a dude. So why can't I come? And, you know, there's still people who need the explanation. Why can't you come? Oh, I know. And I've given it. Yeah. Why can't you come? Because the space isn't for you. Yeah. You have spaces. And I, you know what I also get, I've gotten this is like, well, you don't have white people. And I was like, are not cis men white? Are not some trans folks white? Mm -hmm. The only literal place you can't be is for women of color. And you probably shouldn't be. And it is interesting when people go, well, I should be allowed everywhere. Mm -hmm. No one should be like, people need their own spaces. People need peace. Listen, if you want to hang out with all your white girlfriends, do it. That doesn't affect me. Like my often question is why, why do you need to be there? Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you missing? Or do you just, or you got FOMO? What is it? What is, what is the thing? And for me, when I, when I decided to do these types of things, there's also the representation of the, the speakers, the teachers. Mm-hmm. So every retreat, the teachers will look like whoever that retreat is for. Because, you know, having people look like you allows your body to go, maybe this isn't scary. Maybe I can show up. Maybe this will be safer versus some random lady like, whoa, whoa, really? What's up? What's happening here? I've seen it. Yeah, no, I I have too. And it's something that is that that ability to feel safe in your body is so important for folks who've survived trauma. And, you know... It's something that comes up a lot in the like the sex educator community. And so yeah. it's like, oh, so-and-so is such a great speaker. They'd be perfect for this. But if they don't reflect the group they're speaking to, there's an there's a wall that you have to. And it doesn't matter how educated you are as the person outside of the group and how much of an ally or whatever it is. It's we've all had experience with people who aren't who are different than us in one way or another. And so you're on guard. Mm-hmm. Right. And it changes it. And I think. Some folks don't get that just your presence can change the dynamic of an entire room. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even when you don't mean to, right? Like, I don't know, maybe it's people's own things, or maybe it is because you're walking into a space with marginalized folks 
mm-hmm. and they might feel, and it again, it can be on either side. Yep. It might be a privilege thing. It might just be a communication thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like people communicate differently. Mm-hmm. And for you to come in and be like, well, you should say it this way. You might already be causing violence. Um, yeah. I don't think that people take steps back because again, I deserve to be everywhere, which cool. Yeah. I also think I should be everywhere, but you know, who doesn't believe that society. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. Fuck? One, of, one of my dear friends, she's been on the program. Um, Diana Hong talks about, you know, she was, she was raised in kind of a, a conservative anti-queer group, you know, society. Um, <laughs> Outside, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with other humans, yeah, that that's how that goes. Um, but yeah, there is there is safety when you can relate to other people. I see it with my own partner. Like he'll be one way when we're with kind of our group of friends, which is very mixed. But then I'll watch him when he's just with his black guys and doing music. There's a different way he holds himself. There's a different language, and there's a connection there that cannot exist when you have mm-hmm. other folks. Um, and I think a lot of people miss how important that is, especially when you're trying to go through trauma um, and go and can heal from it, which is one of the big things missing in so much of our healthcare is finding therapists, finding uh, people who you can connect with um, and who will validate your experience, right? Yeah. Ooh, talk about it. I love this. Right. Yeah, I think therapists, you know, one of the biggest problems with therapists is, well, there's a few, but, and this isn't a shit on therapists. I love therapists. You know, I have a lot of therapists in my life, but also there's the unlearning mm-hmm. and not pushing your values on others. That's a big thing. Like, well, I feel like doesn't matter. Hey, this is, this session isn't for you. They didn't come for I feels and well, I believe that's not what they came for. And because again, like you said, people, people are uncomfortable and they don't know how to handle the thing. This is why when therapists are like, oh my God, my specialty is 20 things. I'm like, you're a damn lie. There is no way in hell your specialty DBT, uh, EFT, like it, you have 20, what are you good at? Like, how do you actually show up? Oh, well, I can work with trans folks and non-binary folks, um, elderly folks, kids. I work with infants. Like, girl, what's who are you working with? Right. People don't know their population. People don't know their population. And then they're not honest about it when they find it. Like, for me, I love working with, like, high school kids. Mm-hmm. I love college students and above. Middle schools, meh, just not for <laughs> me. Uh-huh. I don't like it. It's because they know too much and know nothing. And I remember what that's like. And that's my own shit. But I know that's not my population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't put myself in it. And other people go, it's not my population, but I'm going to do it. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> well, for folks out there who are looking, and this is this is a question I get all the time when I teach is, so how do I find a therapist? I'm queer. I'm polyamorous. I'm kinky. I'm whatever. And the last thing you want to do is be paying to educate your therapist Ooh, about yes. like if you spend the first four sessions just educating them about what kink is or about being queer, like I'm mad about that. Like you should be paying <laughs> me to teach you at that point. Absolutely. I'm gonna be like, so do you want my Venmo? Right. For what? Because I just taught a class. Let me tell you my hourly rate. Right. right? Yep. Um, I believe in being honest with. When you are starting with a therapist, interview them. 
-hmm. Ask them questions. How have you worked with X, Y, and Z? How have you handled it? Um, You know, what is your skill set? What is your modalities? You know, ask them questions. You are interviewing them. They work for you. You don't work for them. Mm -hmm. And they should know that. And if they can't answer your questions and you don't feel comfortable, break up with them. Yes. You, you are allowed, you owe these people nothing and they should understand if they take it personal again, what is that? You already saw the flags. You're allowed to leave. Um, but asking them the questions and for folks, they're like, well, I get in there and I, I don't know what to ask. Take a minute before mm-hmm. five, 10, whatever day before and sit down and actually write what you need to know. Think about your identities. Mm-hmm. How do you want them to show up for you? What does that look like? Ask them, have they worked with whatever kind of identities you have? What is their experience with? Like using these words, what's your experience with? How do you work with? What is your style? Um, what does that look like for you? These are the things that are going to get you the questions, hopefully, you want, but write them down. So when you get into video, in person, whatever, you don't get disheveled. Mm-hmm. because that often happens. We get overwhelmed. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to shake the table. No, no, this is your time. And this is about you. And I think because often we feel like we're taking up too much space, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Or we're like, well, they're the expert. They should know, honey, they're human. Yeah, They're human. Whoever needs to hear this, they are human and they're going to fuck up just like you fuck up. And also they don't know everything and they might not be a good fit. Yeah. And even if they say they've worked with these populations, like you said, so many of them will have multiple specialties or they won't have dealt with their own shit. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, you don't go, even when you have to do therapy to get licensed and all of that, there's not a segment where it's like, okay, let's deal about with your feelings about different racial groups. Let's deal with your feelings about fat people. Let's deal with this so that, you know, let's deal with your feelings about queer people. Um, you know, I I will never see a non-queer therapist because I don't want to fucking educate them about what it's like to be non-binary and queer, right? It's just, you're not going to get some things, you know? No. And that's okay if you're a therapist yeah. and you don't have the things. Yeah, just, but you got to be honest. Job. Be honest, because yeah. you know what? You're going to harm more people. Yeah. And that's okay to be honest honest. And I think people are just scared of, again, vulnerability is very scary, It is, but also, you know, it's scarier fucking someone up. I think about that every time I have a session with someone, I'm like, Oh, I'm not fucking this up. Like we all should kind of think like that. Let's be honest. Like anxiety and the stressors around the work that we get to do isn't a bad thing. You don't want to fuck it up. You know, I find like I was talking to I believe, you know, Erica Hart. And I was like, I'm about to start speaking again. And she was like, it's, she was like, you are nervous because you care. And I was like, I needed that reminder. Cause they were just doing like speaking stuff. And I was like, I haven't done this in two years. What if I don't know anything? Uh, but that anxiety isn't bad. And I think people get nervous around anxiety. They get nervous about dissociation because they've become so negative. And also, yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things that I learned early on is to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me figure it out and get back to you. Because when you're on the expert side of it, people assume you know stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and 
And it's a sometimes it's a bodily response. I am over six feet tall. I'm almost 300 pounds. When I walk into a room, people assume I know all the shit, right? It's just the way I command a room. So learning to say, you know, I, I don't, rather than trying <laughs> to fill in the answer. And I think anybody coming into the work similar that you and I do, anything around sex and sexuality, to just say, you know what? I don't know. I'll yeah. get back to you. We have email, we have message boards, get back. <laughs> but also that's role modeling for your client mm-hmm. where they get to be like, you know what? I don't know. Let me look into it more. And I think people forget that there's always eyes on us. Mm-hmm. Someone's always watching how we, mo- how we move through the world. Even we don't think about it. Even we don't know it. Right. Like if you're on social media, people see you all the time. Yeah. It's real creepy sometimes. Let's be honest, but like people see you and you're human. I just, I just really want to normalize, like we're all human. I, unless you guys are like some cyborgs or something. I don't know. It's 2022 as possible, <laughs> but you're going to fuck up. You're going to, but as a therapist, keep learning. If you have blind sides, which you do, because we all do yep. go take a course, go take a class. They exist, especially within sex. Most of us didn't get sex ed. They don't teach it in therapy school. They had like a class and it was bullshit. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm out (laughs) from that class. I was out. And again, because of not having that foundation, people don't know how to do the thing. You do you beyond just uh, working with trauma survivors and stuff. You do teach a lot about sex. Yeah. a lot of things i'm like i do talk about that you don't do I? You, you you do all the things like they right now the episode's out with um rain to gray and about her creating all the things because you know i think there's so many of us in the sex ed community that that feel a need to be multifaceted because one you got to ha- diversify your income streams hello um, <laughs> yes, you do. but two there's just there's a lot of need out there there's a lot mm-hmm. of need um so what, what's the fun stuff for sex ed for you? Cause I mean, a lot of us do the one-on-one classes and the basics and stuff, but what do you really enjoy? Um, and please excuse me. I, I have a very needy labradoodle that I keep throwing <laughs> toys for. <laughs> um, what is fun watching people squirm <laughs> in the sense of like, I, this is why I like my fun is working with younger people, mm-hmm. high school, I love doing like first year college students one because they squirm because they're uncomfortable, but they're there to learn. Right. If I get to be there and I get to like let them laugh and give them information, maybe they have the chance that I didn't have. Right. Like high school is fucking rough. It's brutal. You literally could not pay me enough money to do that again. You'd be like, here's $500 million. And I'd be like, Still probably not because what comes with it, I'm good. Um, In college, it's a different level of hard because people suddenly assume that you're an adult Mm -hmm. and you have maybe have never left the house. There's all these people around you, different ages, different wants, different needs. And you're like, what the Mm -hmm. fuck? And we're very vulnerable in both, both areas because we're trying to adapt. We're trying to fit in. We're learning and it's moving so fast. So for me, going and talking to them and being like, let's talk about the difference between a vulva and a vagina. People go, what? I'm like, let's learn things. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. I'm like, is it a part of your body? Let's do it. 
I would rather you be uncomfortable, but also know how to identify, make statements and all these things. That is the fun part for me. Like when you get to see someone's eyes go, oh shit. Like I teach about like boundaries and, you know, consent and how to say yes and no. That is fun Mm -hmm. because these are the things we're not taught about, but we need them. That's where I have fun at. Yeah. And the support groups, the support groups are fun. Every Friday we do seven weeks on two weeks off, seven weeks on those Friday afternoons, Friday evenings, you never know what group is going to be, Mm -hmm. but it's fun because I get to see survivors connecting with other survivors and just getting to be them. Yeah. That's my fun. I, I can totally see that. So you're part of the queer community. You're you're outspoken about being bisexual. Um, yes. Yeah. Equal opportunist. Yes. <laughs> we we have a club of bisexuals on on like I have a growing list of bisexuals I've interviewed and I fucking love it because these are my people. I understand. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I throw out is how has your experience being out as bi been different in your in the dating world? How have people responded to you? Well, I think it depends, right? Like if you find cis men, they're often like, Ooh, so you want to have a threesome? I don't, first of all, I don't know why they all get weird. Like why, first of all, who thought you were invited to a threesome, honey? (laughs) Who invited you? Qualified for a twosome. So let's dial it back. (laughs) Let's step it up. You're reeling in. Or they're like, Oh, you have two partners. Like, do they want to come? Like, they don't know you. They don't care about you. And so I think that's funny and or the the people that are monogamous, they're like, I can date someone that's non-monogamous. Oh, wait, you, well, so you're not going to spend all your time with me? And I'm like, it's in the title. It's it's literally in the title. <laughs> like, But it's interesting, especially when you're, when you do the dating apps, you got to find the right ones because they're not all created equally. Do you have a favorite? I do. It depends on what I'm seeking. So if it's like more dating, Mm -hmm. like relationshipy, I met one of my partners on OkCupid. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. We've been together for quite, it'll be uh, a year soon. And the other partner I met because of friends, but field, I like a good field. I have not used that one. Field gets to the point. Okay. Um, sometimes it's too much to the point I need them to reel in, but there are more <laughs> queer people. There are more geeky people. There's more non-monogamous people and you don't have to keep explaining things. Mm-hmm. Like, of course there's still, you know what my fucking pet peeve is? This has, we're going a little left is everyone's a goddamn dom now. Right. It's, Everyone. I say people, it's the Tupperware it's the- drawer. You have all these fucking tops and they don't fit on the three bottoms that are there. <laughs> and so I'm always like, this is sidebar, but I'm like, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to be a dog? I like to hit bitches. Okay. So you're abusive. What right. that is? It's different. Yeah. Not the same, bro. Words mean things. Um, but I do like fields because I have found like good people that get it. it and like, like it's less of the education because mm-hmm. they've done their own shit. Are there still trash people everywhere? Right. It's just, oh yeah, whatever. But I, I have liked, okay, Cupid. There's also a lot more you know, mix of styles of dating. Mm-hmm. 
and identities and stuff. So that feels good versus like a tender. Um, I haven't been on her in years because, but yeah. I tried opening it when I was in Baltimore uh, for a conference and it was just the cast of the wire showed up and I'm like, Nope, I'm not here anymore. Like it, it got scary fast for me. I was like, no, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good for now. I think also just dating in general is a black queer woman right. is a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd be like, oh, you're bisexual. And, duh, duh, duh. and I've always wanted, you know what I'm not, honey? I am not a notch of your black girl sample list. You're different. Nope. I'll still cuss you out and I fight. So how different am I? Right. <laughs> like that that is also like a safety thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I guess I'm I'm constantly in safety mode. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know what else is tricky? I understand, and th- I hope this doesn't come off as shitty as yes, I understand you have to figure out the things, but I can't I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, everyone's bicurious and they're just sampling. And then they like fuck around and then they just disappear or they're never serious. Like <sighs> know what you want and be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my drop. <laughs> I will say, so there's, when it comes to representation of bisexuality, there's not a lot of great representation in general in the media, but have you been watching Harlem on Amazon? Mm-mm. I'm watching wrestling. You know that. Just, just. Oh, well, I knew you were wrestling fan, but uh, <laughs> no. So Harlem, it's it's basically they've redone Sex in the City, but it's with black women in yeah. Harlem. Okay, sounds better already. What? It, it is, it, and they have a black butch lesbian on there. Okay, she's hot too. Oh my god, and they show titty. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm all for good titties on TV, but I will say, um, I was going to ask you what you thought about how they portrayed her because she is. Uh, Butch and everything, but talking about safety and stuff, there's a whole thing in the first season where she ends up, she goes out for a one night stand with this white girl who then ends up eating her leftover takeout in the morning and bouncing without saying goodbye. She's like, she ate my beef and broccoli. I can't believe the bitch ate my beef and broccoli. <sighs> and then it turns out she's the interviewer for the Forbes interview she's going to do. <laughs> Because that is that is dating in the lesbian world. Oh my god! When you date, that's women, dating in LA. You be like, fuck. <laughs> oh, um, but uh, the the woman who ate the beef and broccoli is white, and they start dating, and then um, the the black character starts looking at how other black queer women are looking at her. And you talk about always being out there, and how people are watching you, and especially when you're on social media, when you're more public, there is, you, you've got to pay attention to that. Right. You've yeah. got to, and it, it does change the dating world. It does. It does. I also like people like, well, who are your partners? None of your goddamn business. Right. I don't post my partners. Like if you pay attention, mm-hmm. you'll figure it out. Right. Um, or if you're on my Finsta besides that, like, what do you need to know that for? But it is, it is tricky, right? And also dating inside, outside your race is tricky regardless, right? Like for me personally, I have had more non-Black people approach me to date me since I've been in LA. And maybe it's a location thing, mm-hmm. or I don't know, maybe it's where I'm, where I'm, I'm being. Um, I don't know. 
it, it is dating is interesting. I'm like, listen, you know what? She's here. If you're not raggedy and you, you know, you're beautiful. And first of all, let's talk about insides. Cause you can be attractive outside and bore the hell out of me. I'd be like, okay, I gotta go. It was one of my dating screening questions is to find an Oxford comma. <laughs> They're done. See the, my first, my dating question is, Okay. So my therapist made me change it. And I feel like she was right. I was in a different place. I used to be like, so what's wrong with you? My uh-huh. therapist was like, we're not saying that at all. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, Betty. So I ask, what do you think you shouldn't share with me that might make me want to leave? Interesting. And they go, what? And I'm like, I can give examples. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. And then people really tell you some shit. But that's where we start to kind of build a little bit of trust, a little bit of vulnerability. And it's not for everyone. That's just how I operate. Right. Yeah. I think we too, when you're bi, it gets complicated because people want to know your dating scorecard. Yeah. You know, to you're going to be real mad. I probably have had way more fuckings than you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck a lot of bad bitches. I don't know. <laughs> well, I was talking to Meg Elison a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she wrote The Unnamed Midwife in the Road to Nowhere series. Okay. Uh, bisexual uh, woman in poly. She's polyamorous and all that. And she said, you know, people want to see my dating scorecard. And honestly, there's a lot more men on it, but it's because men are easy. As fuck. Right. Oh my God. We're going to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> It's also when, when dating, okay, let's do it. Let me put my weapon down. We're into this. This is fine. (laughs) Dating men is easier because we've also been conditioned to. And so I think that's a conversation people don't have is like being bisexual. Yes. You, you, this is who you are. You might be connected, but that's not maybe most likely is not how you were raised. That's not what you've seen. And you were taught, like you do these things. And so you're unlearning and then learning what feels good for you. And also, I don't know what it is. A lot of us are like, oh my God, do they like me? I don't know. Is this a friend date? I don't know how many dates I've been on. I'm like, is this a date? Are we, are we hanging out? Oh no, is it? Like I've been on, I've been out with them and been like, is this a date? And they're like, bitch, I was going to ask you because I think it is. And I was like, I think it is. Okay, we're on a date. Like, (laughs) That's how I ended up getting my ex-wife. So yes, there was a lot of confusion, like on the first three dates. Are we doing this or? Okay. We're in it. Okay, love it. I'm so glad I'm here. But it is easier because that is the societal norm. That is what people are, especially if you're raising what the the church, that's all you got. Yeah. Um, And so it is, oh God, it's so wild how easy. (laughs) Like the bar is a yes. It's a line on the ground. And if you say yes, you're there. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. No, dating, dating women is a whole nother thing. And I have never had game with women. I am still amazed. I've managed to get married because <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to talk at you for 20 minutes. And if you still haven't gone away, I'll ask you for like your Facebook connect. Like I, I suck with my game with women. Um, Cause it's a whole different world. It's a whole different skill set. You know what it also is too. I think when you are not a cisgendered man dating whoever else the, the person identifies, there's more care mm-hmm. 
in caution. Like you're like, I don't want to fuck anything up. Cause what if you're just a cool person? We'd be friends versus like guys be like, well, in or out. And it's like, there's other options. There's other options. Um, but I think it's fun. Yeah. It's also definitely more nerve wracking dating women because like you said, it, it's easier. It's what we've known. It's what the representation that's pushed upon us looks like. Mm-hmm. And also it's the idea of before I was came to terms with it, I was like, bisexual people are so greedy. Like, I can't <laughs> believe that. I was like, we are kind of greedy. We we do deserve all the love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll sign up. Sure. I'm good with I was that. like, you know what? Bad deal. I have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I don't hate this for me. I feel very loved and supported. <laughs> um, yeah, it it is tricky. And I think people don't talk about it enough. And then if you do see people on TV, they're either heterosexual, they're gay cisgendered men, or they are just great lesbian. Yeah. They're lesbian men haters, which is not real. Yeah. Yeah. You can hate anybody, right? Like, or dislike, excuse me, but that's not how everyone looks. And I think people get this, like, what looks like this? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. There's so many ways that people look. Yeah. That's what I love. So I don't know if you know the comic Sam J. Uh, she, okay, she's a stand-up comic, black, really butch out of Boston, and she talks about she grew up and she thought, well, I can't be lesbian because the lesbians she saw were like really uber femme and everything. And then it find when and you know she's, she talks about dating men and like had sex. She could like I can't figure out what all the hoopla is. Like that's the worst part about dating, and. She finally saw another butch black lesbian, and she's like, "Oh!" And then we she had exist. sex. Yeah, and then she had sex, and she's like, "Well, that's what all the, that's what this is supposed to feel like. <laughs> that's that's the shit now. Like now, I get it. But representation becomes important because a it's lot of so people, important. Oh my god, especially when you're a baby queer and you're trying to figure it out, and you're like, "Who's my role model here? Because mm-hmm. that shit's not it. That's not." Like for me, I identify as like a tomboy femme. Uh-huh. So like, listen, what am I wearing 90% of the time? Some sweats. But will she throw on some heels, get glammed, tight dress? Oh, wait, yes. Right? Like I, I like a good balance. I also like comfort. <laughs> so Thank you. <laughs> I, I've gotten to the age of comfort. I'd be like, what is it? No, I'm not wearing that at all. I'll wear something, but that's not it. On heels for the first time, I did you know stage work after two years after you know because the community press rough and I, I I'm like oh hell no like <laughs> we're going we're knocking two inches off these motherfuckers because I'm not standing on stage for an hour uh-huh. in four inch heels like so what I've learned in having to get back into like doing this real world and like going on dates or going out is dancer heels best shoes yes, yes. big difference. I'm like, you perform in these. These got to be comfortable. <laughs> so I'm, I will, I really am trying to respect your time because I know you've got other things to do. And I've got a very whiny dog that needs to go pee. Uh, <laughs> if our, uh, our listeners want to find you, want to find your work, want to do a therapy session with you, plug all the things. Yeah. So traumaqueen.love has the links to the support groups what one-to-one looks like. And I break it down because I believe in giving you information up front. Um, all of that is there. You can also sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date. And then 
social media. Uh, Instagram is where you're going to find like the things. It's all under Jiminica. Um, Twitter, you'll find me angry about wrestling, angry about the world, angry about sexual assaults, angry about perpetrators. Like it's it's more anger and me talking shit. So you decide your own path. I, I, while I'm not a huge wrestling fan, just to watch you and Alice from Alice in Bondage Land go off when wrestling goes off is fucking worth it to me. Like, I follow a number of wrestling fans just because it's back. you guys have so much passion about it, too. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. <laughs> You said, um, who's Alice and Pat in what bondage land? So Alice in bondage land, she's been on the show. She runs the site bondageland.com. Okay, and I'm her tag right now, her tag is putting the fun back in femdom. Oh, cute. Yeah. She runs the, the um, cross-dressing munch up at wicked grounds and super, super sweet lady. Um, Got it. Yeah. But she's, she's all about being the porn you want to see in the world. Okay. I just followed this human. Yeah, she's fun too. And she's a huge hockey fan as well. And now, a moment of gratitude. Love. I'm grateful for those that love me. I'm Mm -hmm. thankful for learning how to receive love. I'm thankful for the people that let me love them, that they receive it. Um, Cause truly it, it has allowed me to be where I'm at love and compassion. Cause I could be a, I don't know. I could be destroying people's lives or something. I don't know, but <laughs> love is truly what I'm grateful for in the forms that I receive it. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.